Scott Francis O'Grady, I don't know if you know that name, was born October 12, 1965 in Brooklyn, New York. His father was a member of the U.S. Navy. When he was six years old, he took Scott on his first flight. And from that moment on, Scott knew what career he wanted. And it came with a price in 2000, or sorry, in 1992. If you're not that old, a little bit of history, Serbians, they wanted their own republic. And the United Nations responded with a no-fly zone over Bosnia to prevent aerial attacks on citizens, and the Serbians would retaliate by seeking to shoot down NATO planes. And oftentimes, if they succeeded, they would then vent their rage and frustration and anger on the pilots should they survive. Scott O'Grady knew all of this as he got ready on June 2nd, 1995. And at 1.15, he and Captain Robert Wright each took off in their F-16 Fighting Falcons. They reached Bosnian, Bosnian airspace 30 minutes later and began their patrol. During that time, Captain Wright's radar went off briefly at 2.50 p.m. and that short radar signal gave the Serbians the plane speeds, the heading, and the altitude of their aircraft they fired. Then they fired a second time. And that second shot hit Scott O'Grady's plane and his F-16 burst into flames and began to plummet. O'Grady hit the eject button and his white, orange, green, and brown parachute was like a big signal to all the enemies that were waiting on the ground as he descended, both Serbian military and paramilitary groups were waiting for his arrival. Enemies were everywhere. It took him 25 minutes to descend. And sure enough, a truck was headed his way. He guessed that they were not military by their mismatched clothing. And fortunately, a strong wind had blown him deeper into the trees. The truck screeched to a halt. He had just moments to hide. He left his backup radio and the bulk of his supplies. Moments later, a man and a boy would be within six feet of him, but then they would walk off after not finding anything. More men would come firing into the woods at random before moving on. He stayed hidden, didn't use his radio, at least not on the first day. After some unsuccessful attempts at using his radio over the next couple days, it was on June 7th, hoping that NATO would find him before the Serbs found him, O'Grady tried one more time to use his radio, and it was during that, that evening, Captain Thomas Hanford was completing a late-night parole. Early in the morning on June 8th, 1.25 a.m., he picked up some static over his radio by then, he'd been flying for three hours, estimated about 20 minutes of fuel left. They had to get back, but his instincts told him he was onto something, and he flew low, risking Serbian fire. About 2 a.m., he made voice contact with Scott O'Grady while the Serbs were listening in. They needed to rescue him quickly. 
he goes back to the base, and NATO decides to send a helicopter team in, and at 4.30 a.m., the Marines took off from a, from a uh, ship stationed nearby. They picked Scott O'Grady up at 6.42 a.m., and by 7.29 a.m., they all made it back alive and unhurt. You may know the story. This is the story of a movie that was made about a little over 20 years ago called Behind Enemy Lines. What an amazing story of endurance, though. Scott O'Grady knew what he was signing up for when he wanted to be a pilot in the U.S. Air Force. He knew that he would be sent out on missions, that he would be surrounded by enemies at different times that were there to harm him. And in these six days, he endured with a hope that by chance someone might hear his calls and come to save him. But it was anything but a guarantee. Like Scott O'Grady, Christians are behind enemy lines, if we can say that. Enemies are on every front. This is what Jesus wants his disciples to know in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 16 and following. As a disciple, we talked last week that we are called to a mission. We've been given instructions to carry out this mission. Now Jesus says, as a disciple, know that there are enemies to the cause. There are people that aren't so friendly to the mission that I'm calling you to. And this morning, I want, to, I want us to notice three words, three points here this morning. Three words as we look at our text and think about enemies to the cause. The first word is the, the very beginning of verse 16. We want to say the three B's. That's what will be behold, beware, and believe. The first word, behold. In verse 16, Jesus tells his disciples, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That first word is a word to get our attention. Look, pay attention. Kids, when you're in school, maybe your teachers say, hey, listen, this is important. This is going to be on the test. You're probably going to need to know this at some point. That's what Jesus is saying here. If pen and paper were readily available, Jesus would say, write it down. You want to remember what I'm about to say. And then Jesus tells his disciples, I am sending you out. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus is sending them out. They are on mission for him now. Whatever career they had in their past, that's all in the past. Whatever dreams they were living for have been relinquished and now they are being sent out by the one who has authority over all things. He's sending them out from the comforts they've been getting used to. And he's not just sending them into an uncomfortable situation. He's sending them into danger. It's, it's like Jesus says, okay, remember the unworthy people in verse number 12? We looked at those, that, them last week. They aren't just people who are, on different, who are indifferent to you. Like, oh, okay, they're on a mission. No, he says, these unworthy people are actually uh, against 
the message that we're proclaiming. They are, and he, how does he describe them? They are wolves. Now think about a wolf. I have a picture for you of a wolf here. Vicious, snarling, sharp teeth. They, they run in packs. They're on the hunt. I enjoy watching nature shows especially when two predators collide. We were actually just watching a show with the girls last night, and it was lions against a hyena. The lions won in that situation. But Jesus describes the enemies of his disciples as wolves. Okay, well, how does he describe his disciples? As like a lion, right? Or a bear? No, he says, you are going out like sheep. Sheep, they have no claws, they have no sharp teeth, they don't have any courage. Sheep are, look at that sheep. You want to cuddle with that sheep. Little kids run up to sheep. What would happen if this little lamb runs into a pack of wolves? They'll be devoured. Sheep aren't vicious. They don't usually run into the midst of predators, they run away from the predator. Yet this is how Jesus describes his disciples being sent out. You are like sheep going into the midst of wolves. But notice what he says in the second part of the verse. This doesn't mean that you're to go in foolishly, that you're to go in with no common sense. No, he says, so because you're going in like sheep into the midst of wolves, You are to be wise as serpents. You're to be shrewd. You're to be discreet. Now, it's not an accident Jesus uses the serpent as an example. But where do our minds go to when we think of serpents? We, We go to the Garden of Eden. The serpent, Satan, who was crafty, and, the, and the, 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 the Bible describes him as subtle and tempts Eve very discreetly. So, so the serpent is shrewd and he lures his victim in. And Jesus says, now, I want you to be like that. Be crafty as you go out. Be discerning and discreet as you go out. But we have a continuing thought because Jesus doesn't just say, hey, look, I want you to be like the serpent. No, but he says, be like the serpent and be innocent as doves. Be, be without mixture of evil. Be pure like a dove. I mean, think about a dove. Other than pooping on your head, doves are pretty harmless. And Jesus tells his disciples, you need to be crafty like a snake, but without intent to make someone a victim. You're going in as harmless. So understand what I'm calling you to do. Don't just rush into the midst of wolves provoking them. But also, he says, I want, you to, I want you to know that you are being sent into the midst of wolves. You have to go. Now, you read this, and like me, you think, well, th- this, sounds, this sounds crazy. How, fair, how is it fair that Jesus asks me and you to do this? It's like you're just giving yourself up. It's like you're laying your life down. Hmm, have you ever heard that before? In fact, in John chapter 11, John chapter 10, verses 11 and 18, here's what Jesus says. I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays, his life, lays down his life for the sheep. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So Jesus, the lamb, went toe-to-toe with the wolf, and he laid his life down in full sacrifice, and then he rose from the dead to secure eternal life for his sheep. Now he calls us to follow him as, as sheep into the midst of wolves, but know that the resurrection is secure for every one of his sheep. You're going in like a sheep to the slaughter. But this life is not the end. But it doesn't mean that the road we're called to walk is easy. But we need to know that the Lamb, Jesus, has already walked this road for us. And when we think about our jobs, the jobs that we have, maybe we think about it as a calling, maybe we just think about it as a, as a job. But I think most of us take a lot of pride in our jobs. The name of our employers oftentimes give us a lot of confidence. Who do you work for? And you think about some of the most important, empl- some important employers that we all might know. If somebody says, hey, I work for the FBI. Wow, that's, that's pretty neat. I work for Google. I work for the president. Maybe that's, I mean, that's like the highest thing that we might think of. And if that was, if that was someone that had, you met here in this area, you're thinking like, well, what are you doing in Tioga County? Working for the president. I've been sent on a mission by the president. And even if you were sent to Tioga County or wherever you were sent, if, if the mission was given by the president, if that was the, the, the one who was giving you the orders You'd be excited, you'd be confident, you'd be alert and ready. Well, Christian, you've been sent out by someone far greater than the president. And not just this president. I'm talking about any president that's ever existed, any king. He's more powerful than the president. King Jesus has sent you out on his mission. How exciting is that? Wherever you're at, wherever your neighbors are, wherever your your workplace is, whoever you rub shoulders with, you have been sent on mission by the King of Kings. What, What excitement, what confidence it brings knowing that we are working on the most important task in the world. You say, well, Dennis, how do you know it's the most important task in the world? Because the most important person to ever walk this earth made it his business to be on this mission, and now he calls us to continue to do it. You and I as disciples are called to the greatest mission ever. And it's with this confidence that we now labor. And we need this confidence because the enemies are real. Look, we're not going in blindly. The enemies that are all around us, we should know that this is to be expected. We're going in like sheep, but not like lost sheep in verse number six. Remember he talks about the lost sheep of the house of Israel? No, you are sheep that are known to me, and I'm sending you out on mission as sheep who are following their shepherd. Jesus sends us out. We are to take the gospel out into the world. Look, with every passing year, the practice of 
You understand what I'm saying? Like going to church, people just coming to church that aren't normal church people is becoming less and less in, the, in American communities. It doesn't happen as frequently. We, we are into multiple generations that have not prioritized gathering together to worship the Lord. And too often, the church can operate with a field of dreams method of evangelism. I don't know if you've all seen the movie Field of Dreams, but in that movie, the, the, one, the one saying that you usually remember from it is, if you build it, they will come. That's all I'll say. You can watch the movie if you want. But as a church, we, we very easily think like if we, if we hold it, if we plan it, if we, if we put this together, if we host it, they will come. And what hap- what's been happening over the last several de- decades? They don't come. The culture is further and further away from spiritual things and further and more and more disconnected from the church. This doesn't mean that we never plan events or invite people out. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But it does mean that this cannot be our primary approach to to taking the gospel into the world, into our communities. Each one of us as disciples have been sent into the harvest fields. We need to take this message out And as we go out, we're either going to run into people who are worthy, accepting of the gospel, or who are unworthy. There are no indifferent people in the world. No one's playing for both teams. And the default of every person at birth is Team Wolf. Enemies to the cause. So we must be wise as serpents, gentle as doves as we go out. James Morrison, in his commentary on this, he writes this, The presence of wolves demands us to be wary. The fact that you are my disciples demands us to be guileless, to be innocent. Both and be wary, but we're not like the serpent in that we're looking for victims. We are to be innocent because we are disciples of Jesus. So Christian, disciple, He says, behold, pay attention. You're going out like sheep in the midst of wolves. Number two, beware. Okay? So, similar in thinking, but behold, listen to what I'm about to say. Now I want you to beware because I want you to think about where the enemies are going to be coming from. Verses 17 down through verse 22. He says, beware of men. For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Verse 18, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now that they know that they're going out as sheep in the midst of wolves, Jesus says, 
beware. And when you read from verses 16 to 17, Jesus seems to be broadening his, his, his teaching about the ministry they're involved with. Verse 16, you have a present tense, I am sending you out. When you get to verse 17, he starts talking about a little bit future. They will deliver you. So Jesus is teaching them what they can expect, even in a time ahead post-resurrection. And he says, look, I want you to be in a state of readiness. Be on alert because enemies are everywhere. If you didn't know who the wolves were before, he tells us, beware of who? Beware of men. Both men and women here. It's a generic term for men, which makes Jesus' instruction back in verse 11, if you remember what we talked about last week where he says, find out who is worthy or scrutinize and interrogate until you find worthy people. Why? Because men and women are going to be enemies to the cause. And then he lists three specific enemies. Consider these with me. First of all, he says the courts, okay? The courts or the Sanhedrin. Maybe you've heard that term before. These are, this is the highest Jewish council. And we say, well, okay, how do we know it's Jewish council? Well, they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in where? They're synagogues. So that would be Jewish synagogues. So these wolves are going to bring you before the religious courts who are also filled with wolves, and they will flog you in their own synagogues. So the Jewish people are going to persecute you. But then he says, also, you have governors and kings. You'll be dragged before Roman officials. For the disciples, both of these things would be fulfilled in their lifetime. Read the book of Acts. The disciples are dragged before the Jewish courts. They're dragged before the, the uh the, the Roman rulers, we know that this is exactly what happened to Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is dragged before the Sanhedrin. Matthew chapter 27, Jesus is brought before the governor Pilate at his trial. Luke 23 tells us that there was someone else that, that Jesus stood before, King Herod. So Jesus has already Gone, he's, he's hasn't gone through yet, but he will go through exactly what he's describing. He's going to be the first to go through these things. So he's not just getting his disciples to do the dirty work for him. Remember the call. The call is to follow me. He's going to go through this. And why are they going to go through this? Why are the disciples, verse 18, for my sake. It's on account of me that this is going to happen to you, and you will bear witness before them and the Gentile. Gentiles. This verb here, bear witness, you know, in, in the Greek, it's the word martyr. It's where we get the word martyr from. They are to be witnesses in two ways. We witness, be a witness to them of what Jesus is all about, and be a witness against them on the day of judgment. A couple times here to this morning, we want to tie back into verse number 15, because Jesus says, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment. This is, this is right here in the context. 
Jesus talking about the judgment that will come. So one day, every member of the Sanhedrin, every governor, every king will stand before Jesus the judge. And their rejection of the disciples will bear witness against them on the day of judgment. So the disciples of Jesus actually play a role in the final judgment as they obey their calling. Now, I think the disciples had this in their mind because you might have it in your mind. And as we'll see, this often is just a big... uh, goes in a circle. We might think, well, how can I be a witness to them? I don't even know what to say. Like, you ever have that moment where, how am I supposed to be a witness to somebody? I, I'm not sure I have the words to say. I'm not equipped. And so we, we, we bring them to somebody that we think is more equipped. I think the disciples had this in their mind because of what Jesus says in verses 19 and 20. And, and if you think about it, go all the way back to to Moses, when God calls Moses, I want you to go to King Pharaoh. Do you remember what, what Moses' first response was? It wasn't like, all right, let me go. It was, I don't know what to say. I'm not a good speaker. I can't do this. The disciples had the same thing in their mind. And so Jesus knows this excuse is probably coming up, and he addresses it. And what does he say in verse 19? He says, when they deliver you over... Do not be anxious how you are to speak and what you are to say. For you, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So he starts off, look, don't be anxious. You ever try to prepare yourself for maybe a, a tense conversation or, or some kind of conversation where you're, you're like, this is, this is I, don't, I need to think about what questions are they going to ask me? Uh, how am I going to respond to them? I, if you're like me, I try to think of every possible scenario to unfold. The last time I could think of, it, of this happening was, uh, and this is a silly thing, but hopefully I'm not the only one that thinks like this. Um, we, have a, we have a handheld blender and the blade broke months ago, and I threw the blade out, and then I was looking back at my receipts. I was like, oh, two-year warranty. I don't have the blade. It says you need a picture of this. So I was like, I'm going to call them anyway, and I'm going to see if I can get a free blade for this rather than buying a new one. Again, don't judge me. It's silly. I know. Just pay the 20 bucks or whatever. But in my mind, I'm rehearsing. Okay, when I call them, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to... And I'm rehearsing this whole thing in my head. Has anybody else ever been there with these kind of things? Okay, three, four of you, all right. Um, And then I get on the phone and they're like, okay, we'll send you a new one. Like, what? That was easy. (laughs) It always goes easier than you plan in your mind. But I work myself up in all this anxiety. And that's why Jesus says, look, when you get dragged before these courts, don't, don't be anxious. You will be given the necessary words, not in the morning of, not leading up to it, but what does he say? In that hour. Like right when you need it, I'll give you the words to say, if you trusted me this far to be my disciple and go out on mission, 
trust me that I will be with you in your hour of trouble. Now we read verse number 20 as Christians today, and I don't think it sounds too radical in, in any way, but the disciples are probably thinking, what in the world does this mean? You're not going to be speaking, but your, the spirit of your father will be speaking through you. What? what? You have some very relational language that I think Jesus brings in to give them a sense of comfort. Your father. It's not just Jesus doesn't say my father. Now he says your father. If you are following after me, God is your father. And your father will be right there with you, speaking for you. Not only does it give them a sense of comfort, I think it tells us that human wisdom is no help here in this situation. They need a divine wisdom. They need the, the Lord to speak for them because this is a spiritual battle between wolves and sheep. And God is going to give them exactly what they're going to need to say in that moment. We've got to move on. So we've got the courts, the Sanhedrin. We have the governors and the kings, the Gentiles. And now what does Jesus say in verses 21 and 22? Even your own family members. Ooh. The wolves are going to be some within your own family. Brother against brother. Father against child. But, but remember what he just said, your father? So it's possible that you lose an earthly father in one sense, but you've gained a heavenly father in another sense. Children will rise up, that's the word rebel, against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by all for his name's sake. Persecution is coming from every direction. Disciple, this morning, you're here, you're, you're, you're seeking to follow the Lord the spiritual battle that Jesus is describing here is still raging today. As disciples were under attack from all, all fronts, so Jesus says, beware, be ready, be alert. Last week we mentioned that this country is getting more and more hostile to biblical truth. Listen, church, persecution is not just reserved for some far-off country. At the rate that things are escalating and moving in our culture, we have no idea what even five years holds. It's knocking at our doorstep, and it should come as no surprise because the enemies are all around us. And so we need to be ready as a church for when persecution comes. I think it'll come sooner than we think. Are we committed to following Jesus into the courts before the government officials? Are we willing to speak the truth? To share the good news of Jesus' death for sinners as our only hope? Listen, too many Christians can become silent in the face of persecution. 
Because we don't want to be hated by all for his name's sake. We don't want to be hated by all for any reason. So maybe a a better question to ask ourselves, is my witness and devotion to my master strong enough to even warrant persecution? Would anyone even know I was a disciple? If things were on the line, we are called to speak the truth, but we're called to speak the truth in love. Look, that little phrase uh, that, that he says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Look, if you're going to be persecuted, let it be for his name's sake. Not, not because we're jerks about it. Let it be for his name's sake that we're seeking to lift high the name of Jesus to all who would hear. Friend, maybe you're here today, you're not a Christian. Let me just speak to you for a moment. One day you will stand before Jesus the judge. We all will. And on that day of judgment, those friends, those loved ones, those strangers who have spoken the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ as your only way to salvation, who have spoken to you about your sin and your need to repent and turn, on that day of judgment, they will stand as witnesses against you. It's not for lack of opportunity that people will be separated from God for all of eternity, but it's because of the hardness of hearts. If you hear the call of Jesus within, don't resist it. Surrender your life to him. See, all that Jesus is calling his disciples to do is not easy. I recognize that. It's not, it's not something you, you just say like haphazardly, like, let me just try this. Sometimes people have that idea, like, what's, it, what's the worst that could happen? If, if, if Jesus is real and this whole thing is real, uh, you know, and you, and you say, I'm going to follow, follow him, like, what's the worst that can happen? That's never the way that Jesus approaches it. Jesus actually says, look, here's what you're getting into. Just like Scott O'Grady, he knew what he was getting into. Count the cost, follow me, but while you're doing this, you're going to need a laser-like focus on the shepherd. Point number three, believe. So behold, beware, and then believe. Verses 22 through 25. In the middle of verse 22 here, we have this little word, buts, which is a contrast. So you may be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Let me stop there. Believe. What are we supposed to believe? Let me give you two things. Believe, first of all, salvation will come. So endurance is needed in this call. And he says, if you remain faithful until the end, the promise is that you will be saved. You will be saved. Again, we have to look back to verse 15 and say, well, saved from what? 
saved from the judgment that is to come, the day of judgment. So the promise that Jesus holds out to his disciples, you will be saved from this judgment. You will not suffer the same eternal fate as Sodom and Gomorrah and those who reject Jesus as your Savior. This is a different type of belief than what Scott O'Grady had as he waited for someone to rescue him in Bosnia. He was holding on for hope, but there was no promise that hope that, that, that hope that salvation would ever come. For many that were in his same situation, hope never did come. They were killed in battle. But the hope that Jesus talks about here is a promise that is sure, that is true. You will be saved. And you'll notice verse 23, this is not a one-time endurance. Like, let me, just, let me just get through this one situation. No, it's ongoing. You're going to go to the next town. You might have to flee from that. Persecution's happening everywhere you go. And he says, it's okay to flee. But if you flee, you still must endure in faith. You're going to go from one Jewish town to the next Jewish town. Let me give you three, three different views of what Jesus means here at the end of verse 23, where he says, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. What is this coming that he talks about? Um, people disagree uh, on, on, on what exactly he's talking of here, but here's, here's a few options for you to consider. One, Jesus is coming in resurrection. So when he resurrects, he comes as a new man, the firstborn of many creatures. Maybe it's also number two. Another view is that Jesus is coming as a spiritual king. When the spirit is given in Acts chapter 2, and his kingdom has begun in power of the spirit. Obviously, this is closely tied to the resurrection in timeline. Another possibility is what Luke 23 describes, that Jesus is going to come in judgment, even pointing to the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And all three events really could, could fit his point, because remember, in the context, he's talking to his disciples at that time, and he says, before the, the Son of Man comes, you will not have gone through even all the Jewish towns. Good men and women believe different of these points of view, but what is the point that Jesus is trying to communicate? He's telling them, look, there is enough mission that you're going to be doing this for your whole life. It's going to last a lifetime. So don't think, I can just get through this moment. I can get through this decade, and then it ends because we've accomplished the task. No, Jesus says, you're going to be, you're going to be doing this your whole life. And then he holds out a promise to them. Salvation will come and believe that it will come. Also, secondly, believe that your master has endured all for you. Verses 24 and 25. The disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, 
how much more will they malign those of his household? So Jesus here gives two examples, the teacher and the student and the master and the slave. So Jesus, what is he saying? What you will face, disciples, what you will face is in line with what your master will face. We've already touched on this. But enemies of the disciple are actually enemies to the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. Here's what one commentator, John Gill, says related to this. A disciple should think himself very well off and thankful to endure what his master has endured. Throughout Jesus' ministry, the religious leaders have accused Jesus of being in partnership with Satan. And that's the word that he uses here. In fact, Luke eleven fifteen, 15, uh, the, 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 the religious leaders charge Jesus with being uh, in, in cahoots, in partnership with Beelzebul. They're on the same team. That's a name for Satan. So Jesus says, if the, if the master of the house, me, is called Satan, don't expect anything different. When they address you, they're going to see us as one and the same. Everyone in the house bears that association, that reputation. And this puts the, this puts the disciples in a tough position culturally. Because the Jewish religion was someone's identity. It was a fearful thing to be kicked out of the synagogue. Remember John chapter 9, the man who was born blind they come to his parents and they ask his parents, was this man born blind? Was he healed by Jesus? And, and they just kind of take a back seat like, I don't know. I... And what does it say? Because they feared being kicked out of the synagogue. This is what the disciples were facing. But Jesus' encouragement to them is, look, I am leading you on this journey. I've already walked this path. I've endured it all for you. Now, as we read this passage, it's, I think it's natural to ask questions like, how are we supposed to settle down and get comfortable in life? Live the American dream! But aren't questions like that reflect, reflective of how the culture has influences our thinking, even as Christians? The wolves... The wolves want you to settle down and get comfortable and keep your mouth shut. Not speak the message that Jesus has given to you. But for the Christian, for the disciple, this world is not our home. We are called to comfort and ease. No matter which way you view it, persecution isn't comfortable. Do we only follow Jesus when it's comfortable? Look, our homes are the places we often feel the most comfortable, but what has Jesus already told us? This mission is even going to affect your home life. Brother against brother. Father against child. Moms, what does he say? Children will rise up against Parents, even to put them 
to death. Happy Mother's Day. But moms, it's an opportunity for you to consider your calling to raise your children in biblical truth. To raise your children not to be comfortable in life, but to follow Jesus as disciples. Moms, as you seek to disciple your children, you're going to hear from the enemy that you're oppressive, that you're hateful, that you're bigoted, that you're unaccepted, accepting, that you're damaging your kids simply for teaching them God's word. Maybe some of you have already heard that. So it's, the cost is real as a mom to following Jesus And it may cost you your children even rejecting you for your unwillingness to stop speaking the truth. And the temptation is there to just, let me just ignore it. Let me just not say anything. Let me just live in peace and quiet for the sake of temporary comfort. But to overlook sin in the life of your child, to not lead them in the truth so that they might feel loved or accepted in a, in a temporary way is the most unloving thing that you can do for them. Because we know that the heart that is unrepentant leads to verse 15, the day of judgment. Death is not the end. We don't just cease to exist. Assumed in Jesus' promise to salvation or for salvation, for those who would endure, is that there is an eternal destiny for each of us, eternal life, eternal death. And what makes the difference? It is faith in Jesus. That's the difference from eternal death to eternal life. Faith in Jesus, enduring faith in Jesus that lasts until the end. And we can endure because we look to Jesus. We look to our master who has endured all for us already. Even in our moments of doubt, I have them. When our faith is hanging by a thread, I've been there. Jesus' faith has already been credited to our account. Jesus' faithfulness has already been applied to our lives. And so our Father sees us as faithful sons and daughters because of what Christ has done for us. And so we look to our Master who has led the way. Listen, disciple, we have never been promised to be spared persecution. In fact, if anything that we're reading here, we are told to prepare for it. So behold, you are sent out as sheep into wolves. Beware, enemies are all around us. And believe, believe that salvation will come to those who endure. Believe that your master has endured all for you already. We have been abundantly blessed in this country with many great freedoms. Many of us have never experienced physical persecution. I don't know the end of your life here on earth and whether you will experience that But there may very well come a day when this is our reality. It's happening in westernized societies already. 
but endure to the end because the comforts of this world pale in comparison to the comforts that we will forever enjoy as his disciples.